When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby. I'm joined by Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. Now, in the second half of this podcast, we're going to do a little OTA preview. Uh, that was Ashley, Scott Patsko, and me. But first, we're just going to start the podcast off. We all just watched the HBO uh, Real Sports with Brian Gumble. The interview, uh, two of Deshaun Watson's accusers speaking to Soledad O'Brien. Uh, we both just watched that. We're recording this late on uh, late on a Tuesday night. It was Kyla Hayes and Ashley Solis who did the interviews uh, with Soledad O'Brien. So Mary Kay and Ashley, I will just start here. It didn't feel like there was new information necessarily here, but this was kind of the first time where we've seen two of the accusers sit down and do an interview like this. So I, I guess it... Did you learn anything new? Did your perspective change, Mary Kay? I mean, what was your impression of of sort of this 20, 25 minutes? Well, you know, the the accusers, they seemed very credible. And and we know that, um, you know, that Rusty Harden has said that they're lying. We know that Deshaun Watson has steadfastly maintained his innocence. So I was curious to see, you know, what they seemed like and did they seem credible? And they actually, they actually did seem credible to me. I mean, not actually, but I mean, they did seem credible to me. They seemed very sincere. They got very emotional at times. Um, both of them did. And so, it, you know, it was difficult to watch. But Deshaun's camp, they knew that this was going to be a hard thing to watch. And that this, in the court of public opinion, uh, when you have uh, a woman describing an encounter like that, that's going to be a hard one for, for Deshaun uh, to win that battle. So I guess that's the first thing uh, that, that came to my mind is that, you know, that they did seem very, very genuine in what they were saying. But again, we haven't, you know, Deshaun Watson seemed genuine in what he was saying when we interviewed him at the press conference. So right now it really is a matter of, he said, she said, and it's a difficult thing to get through. Yeah, you know, I think watching it for us as people who have been following this, obviously extensively, um, I don't know that this was anything new that we hadn't heard before. But I do think what's interesting with a program like this, especially real sports, like I think this is going to hit a wider audience that maybe hasn't been following this, like to the same extent that you know, we as reporters have, or people in Cleveland. And like Mary Kay was saying, like these interviews aren't an easy watch. Um, And I think if you maybe aren't as familiar with the case that that is going to hit you. But for me, overall, it was just as somebody who has been, like I said, kind of following this and we've been immersed in it and immersed in Deshaun Watson being here. um, I'm not sure what the reaction is going to be like for people who have maybe known this information already but for people who are hearing it the first time I think it's going to be a jarring watch more than anything and to hear people tell their own story like that on video I think is always going to have that effect and that's the 
what the medium does when you're telling a story that way. I, th- I think that's a good point that the idea of like, we've been so immersed in this and I know a lot of Browns fans have been very immersed in this and NFL fans, you know, at least, at least in Houston and, and here have been so like, they all know the details, uh, but there is a large segment of the population that probably doesn't, they know something was amiss. They know that maybe there's the 22 lawsuits, but they probably haven't been following as closely as, as we do on a daily basis, right? Because it's our job or for Browns fans, this is the quarterback that the Browns traded for. Um, so, so Mary Kay, I suppose that that's kind of the effect this could have is this is going to show more people kind of what these accusations are hearing from two of the accusers. Yeah. You know, I think that, that most people probably haven't really read all of the interviews, haven't really read all of the lawsuits, haven't seen some of the interviews because Ashley Solis was actually, I think both of them have been interviewed on TV before, but not national television. Uh, So I do think that uh, a lot more people uh, probably now are forming their own opinions about what actually happened. And the, the important thing to note is that Deshaun Watson declined to be interviewed for this. So this wasn't a situation where you could see that he said, she said part of this. Uh, All you really got to see here was the she said, and then his lawyer, one of his lawyers, Leah Graham, came on at the end and spoke on behalf of Deshaun. uh, But he declined HBO's request to be interviewed for this because he's in the midst of the NFL investigation and didn't want to do any, anything to, you know, to jeopardize that. So he didn't really have a chance to defend himself against what they're saying. Uh, but I mean, right now it really is a case of, um, of just their, their word against his. So um, Rusty Harden has sort of been doing a, a little media tour. Um, it, it started when you talked to him, Mary Kay, um, and then he's since has gone on a podcast. I know he was on 92.3 uh, today. Like I said, we're recording this on Tuesday night. Um, I, he released a video statement. You can see that in Mary Kay's story at cleveland.com slash Browns. Kind of a lot of the same points, again, that we've heard. And, and this is sort of where we're at in this case. It is just sort of a lot of, we've heard this before, and both sides are just kind of, reiterating over and over again what they believe but that that being said I I do think it's telling that it almost feels like Rusty Harden has conceded the court of public opinion here he kind of has just said we're not going to win that battle Mary Kay though does that affect the NFL at all if they lose in the court of public opinion which it feels like they mostly have um, does that affect the NFL's decision making process well, you know what? I, I think that um, I think the NFL will do its absolute best to try to just block out all the noise, to block out all the different, uh, you know, HBO specials and the things that the lawyers are all saying now, um, and and just try to really uh, focus on the interviews that they've done with the accusers and with Deshaun. They spent three days with Deshaun last week. They will probably talk to him again. And, uh, and I think the NFL will, will really try uh, to just administer this discipline based on what they have found themselves. As we know, they don't even go by uh, whether or not you have civil suits against you or whether or not you've been indicted criminally. Uh, it's a situation where 
they will decide if his conduct was detrimental uh, to these women and detrimental to the NFL. And if it was, uh, then he will get suspended. And I do think that um, that Rusty Harden sort of is maybe perhaps getting a vibe that, uh, you know, that the NFL might come down a little bit hard on Deshaun Watson right now. Yeah, Ash, I'm just curious, as you sort of have observed this, do you kind of get that same feeling that maybe they're a little getting a little uncomfortable? You know, like I said, he's been doing a lot of media. They did decide to respond to this stuff, as they said in the show, at the 11th hour. Are you kind of getting that vibe, too? Yeah, and that's what I was going to bring up was the fact that they made note of it in the piece that originally his camp said, no, we're not going to comment for this. Um, And then they had Soledad O'Brien interview Leah Graham. They made her available uh, at the last second. So she appeared, it looked like via Zoom, you know, it was a video interview done remotely. Um, So I understand that, you know, that they're in the sense of the public opinion that they're trying to do what they can to maybe help themselves with that and help defend Deshaun Watson in regards to some of those feelings that are floating out there especially knowing, like Mary Kay said, that they figured that this was going to be a brutal watch. Like they were open about that. So I definitely see that that's kind of what's going on from a PR strategy. Um, But, you know, I am just, I, I agree with Mary Kay that I don't know how much knowing like how the NFL works. I don't know how much all of this, the outside noise outside of their own investigation, how much it's really going to impact what their ultimate decision is in terms of a punishment. So Mary Kay, we are closer to this though. We are closer to the NFL. Obviously civil cases were still like a year away from these things getting hurt, but we're closer to the NFL likely handing down their initial punishment. And Roger Goodell spoke about that today. Yes, he did at the, uh, at the owner's meeting in Atlanta, Uh, He did acknowledge that the NFL is getting close to wrapping up its investigation, that the lead investigators, Lisa Friel and Jennifer Gaffney, are are just about to, uh, you know, wrap up their findings and hand it over, hand over the investigation to uh, former U.S. District Judge Sue L. Robinson, who will determine the discipline. Uh, So that's significant for him to say that uh, they're at that point now where they're winding down on the investigation. Now, when I talked to Rusty on Friday, he did say that he thought uh, that they wanted to talk to Deshaun again uh, and that they wanted uh, more discovery in, uh, in this investigation. So, you know, does getting, you know, this happening shortly, is it in two days that they're going to hand this over to Sue L. Robinson? Is, does that mean another week? Are they going to talk to Deshaun on Friday? I mean, I don't know. I mean, for, for Roger to characterize it as, this will happen shortly. Uh, I, I thought that was very significant. I think it means that sooner than later, uh, we will all have a pretty good idea of what the initial suspension for Deshaun Watson is. And, and look, the NFL has like a timeline that they have to adhere to, right? Like, Ashley, they need to know. I mean, they've got, for as silly as it sounds, they have ticket sales that fans want to know, teams need to know. The NFL, if, if they have a chance to get this thing kind of ironed out before the season they they need to do that they're sort of stuck on this timeline that again isn't necessarily relevant to the courtroom right and it's like a few weeks ago it felt like there was maybe more smoke coming up for oh like maybe this suspension a suspension decision will be pushed off until 
these civil suits are done. Like that was something you kind of were hearing all over the place, but I think that's kind of gone away now. And especially like Mary Kay said, for Roger Goodell to say what he said, like that was very definitive to me in a way that they really haven't been with this. You know, typically it's been statements about, you know, it's an ongoing investigation and they're not going to comment on it. But for him to make the comment that, you know, they are getting closer to that decision, I think is like one of the most definitive things we've heard in this investigation. Okay. Any anything else on the, that we missed that we didn't discuss from this that stood out to you guys from from this? Again, it it just feels like it feels like we're mired in this for another year. But I, I guess I mean, there's always that settlement option, right, Mary Kay? There's always that possibility. We we know I, Rusty Harden has essentially confirmed that they were trying to settle these cases so Deshaun Watson could get traded to Miami during the season last year. It didn't happen. So we know that stuff has been on the table. Does it get more realistic, I guess? Does, could it, if Deshaun gets suspended, could they decide, okay, let's just get these out of the way now. Let's, let's just put these behind us. Yeah, when I talked to Rusty Harden on Friday, he said that uh, right now they are solely focused or mostly focused on what the NFL is going to decide. Once the NFL hands down its decision, then they will probably revisit the notion of possibly settling these cases. I don't think anybody involved in this wants this thing to continue to drag out. The the trials wouldn't even happen during the season. So you're talking about all of next season going through all of this when supposedly at one point uh, a, a lot of the women were willing to settle for almost what would be considered sort of a nominal amount of money. So I don't think that he is going to, um, I don't, I don't think the Haslam's want this to drag out. I don't think the Browns do. I don't think, uh, I, I do think that they will at least entertain the notion of settling these cases once the NFL decides what it's going to do. And again, I've pointed this out before, but like the, this is what the Browns signed up for. So mm-hmm. if Deshaun doesn't want to settle and these things drag into next year, that this is what they signed up for. They knew they knew what they were getting into when they made this trade. So, so nobody should feel bad for the Haslam's or the Browns or Kevin Stefanski or Andrew Barry. This is they, they knew what they were getting into. Mm-hmm. They yeah they did they they absolutely did. Um, but you know sometimes things can have a tendency to get a little larger than life, <laughs> and I think now they're starting to see uh, how this you know, is going to be a whole lot more than just a difficult press conference. And then you start to move on into football. This is not going to be like that. If these cases are not settled, uh, this is going to be an enormous distraction uh, for a lot of people, uh, including people that are triggered by these types of situations. Uh, So there are a lot of layers to this. It's very, very complicated. and. I would just have to think that at some point that they will seriously consider uh, trying to put this behind them and, and having it work out in the best way that it can for, for everyone involved. Okay. So uh, that, that's our uh, reaction there to um, the real sports interviews, um, the real sports with Brian Gumble interviews by Soledad O'Brien of two Deshaun Watson accusers. Uh, again, two of the 22, it was Ashley Solis and Kyla Hayes. 
Uh, we're going to switch gears. We're going to take a break and switch gears. OTAs are underway in Berea. And so after the break here, uh, Ashley, Scott, and I are going to give you some things to watch during uh, Browns OTA practice. This is this is covering the Browns right now. It's talking about this and then switching gears and, and talking football. So uh, Mary Kay and Ashley, I appreciate you uh, both staying up late to do this. We are back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. We'll shift gears here and talk a little bit of OTAs. They started on Tuesday. We will be out there today for the first time. Uh, Ten OTA practices, of course, in the mandatory mini camp in the middle of June. Uh, Ashley Bastock, Scott Patsko with me now. Scott, why don't you start us off? What are you watching here uh, in our kind of condensed glimpse at Brown's OTAs? I feel like I'm supposed to say the number three receiver because that's like our cliche <laughs> over the past few years, pretty much ever since I've been on the beat, who's going to be the number three receiver. Um, but I'm going to, I'll, I'll start at the top with just what this offense looks like when they line up. Um, you know, they're obviously tight end heavy the last couple of years. And I remember watching training camp. It might've even been some OTAs, but definitely training camp. Uh, a lot of fullback on the field last year. And I don't know if that was, who knows why that was. Maybe they, we, they were just doing that when we were there. Um, and we just happened to see every single play they had for fullbacks on the field. You know, it was Andy Janovich and, and Johnny Stan just rotating at fullback. And it didn't really turn out that way. So what you do see at OTAs isn't always the best indicator or what you see at training camp, or at least what we see is not always best indicator, but I am going to, I think everybody's going to be kind of tracking, you know, how many tight ends are they using? How often Um, is Njoku out there by himself a lot? Do they have three wide receivers a lot? Because every indication seems to be that they're going to adapt this year to things that Deshaun Watson does. And that might not necessarily be the things that Baker Mayfield did. And, you know, I'm anticipating a lot of two tight ends, a lot more wide receivers on the field. Um, so that's one of the things I'll be kind of tracking because I think this is really the first time we're going to see those guys on the field lined up like an offense and uh, we'll just kind of go from here. Yeah, Ashley, that that should be, you know, it's one of those things that that really in training camp when we're there every day, we really get a good feel for what the offense will look like. But this is our first opportunity to to see, you know, who's where, kind of what it looks like. Are they in 11 personnel? Are they four wide? Are they like Scott was saying last year, are they running fullbacks? Is, is Johnny Stanton on the field every single snap? I, I, I'm actually, I'm really intrigued by the, all of that. Yeah, and it's just the added element. Like Scott touched on it on the end there. Like Deshaun Watson is so different from Baker Mayfield. So like, how does he look? And Dan, I think you wrote about this. Like just in general, how is he going to look connecting with these receivers, especially? But obviously last year, you know, I think thirteen the 13 personnel thing is something we've talked about pretty consistently in the last few months about we think it's something that's going to change. The Browns use 13 personnel like far more than any other team in the league last year. So um, I think it's feasible to think that that looks different and how exactly it looks different. And like Scott was saying, how many more receivers are we seeing on the field if they're using 13 personnel way less? Yeah. And and sort of to to piggyback off that, Scott, the other, the other part of that, Here's your third receiver discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember the first year Kevin Stefanski was here and this was more training camp because they didn't have an offseason program. But, you know, we kind of showed up and all of a sudden, you know, Jojo Natson was getting work as a receiver. And I don't think a lot of people expected that. So, like, 
how, how often do we see Jakeem Grant? You know, where does he play? When does he play? Is he sort of at the back of the line? Is he, you know, things like that are always kind of interesting too, as we sort of work through these formations and you know, like what if Jakeem Grant is just in the slot a bunch? I, I think that's something that could tell us sort of what this offense might look like. Yeah. I remember Kadero Hodge getting a lot of first team reps yeah. and that caught people by surprise. Like, Oh, okay. I guess he's going to be a big part of this. This offense didn't really turn out that way. Although he, he did have a lot of big catches uh, that year. I, yeah. I, again, I think we, when we're watching uh, the, the team practice and, and they do a you know, full team drills, they could be doing those plays for any number of reasons, just because this is the day to work on that or whatever, but we're trying to gather all the information and track it and, find the clues and everything. So yeah, when, you know, you see Jakeem Grant uh, taking a jet sweep or even Anthony Schwartz, you know, there's different ways you can use these guys seeing Demetrik Felton getting like a, a bubble screen uh, or something like that. Um, and so that sticks in your head because it's kind of out of the ordinary, but, um, but yeah, I think how those guys are used because we kind of have a sense, I think that like Cooper uh, DPJ and, and probably David Bell, I guess, maybe just based on, how we think he's going to be in the slot or maybe your top three guys. So you look at the guys below that and you wonder, well, how are they going to get on the field? How are they going to be used? And um, now is the time to kind of get those glimpses. All right, Ashley, why don't you give us another thing to watch here over these next few weeks? Yeah, I'm going to go on the defensive side of the ball with something that we've talked about a lot lately in particular with, in regards to Martin Emerson these last few weeks. And I'm just curious to see what it looks like who is all getting reps in that slot corner position with no Troy Hill anymore? How much is Greg Newsom going to work in there? How much is Martin Emerson going to work there? I'll shout out to Doug. Will AJ Green get some looks? Where's he going to fit in on this defense, if at all? What's What are his reps going to look like? Um, I'm just curious to see like the first initial glimpses of, of what it looks like. And quite honestly, like to zero in a little more, like how Martin Emerson is actually going to look out there with some bets because like we said, he stood out when we were at rookie mini camp, but the next step is kind of getting those guys in with the veterans and seeing what they look like. So I'm really curious to see what his role is going to be. And just in general, who plays in that slot uh, defensively there. I think that's one of my favorite things, Scott, is seeing these guys, when we see them in rookie mini camp, like they should look different with a bunch of tryout guys, but now seeing them with the veterans, it's always kind of a reminder of like, Oh, yeah, these guys have only been in the NFL for a couple of weeks, whereas, you know, Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom have, have been around a little while. Yeah, yeah. I And I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day and I wonder if we're overthinking it. Like, <laughs> like slot corner is like such a specialty, right? Um, but now it's just, it's normal because 11 personnel, three wide receivers on the field, that's what teams in the NFL run most often like the average for that grouping is like over 60% for the last few years. So it's, it's there. So defenses have that quote unquote slot corner on the field almost all the time, because that's like base defense. There is no more like real three, four or four, three. It's, it's that extra corner in there. So are the Browns just going and saying, you know, we don't need a slot corner. could be Emerson could be, could be Newsom. We're just going to have three really good cornerbacks or we're going to have three really good safeties with one able to play anywhere. And remember the Browns play a lot of zone. So, um, you know, it isn't so much maybe tracking those guys man on man in the slot. It's being able to drop and being able to pick people up and communicate and all that. And um, so, yeah, it's definitely something I think we're going to be watching. Like 
does the rookie work his way in there right away? Is it, is it greedy Denzel and, and Greg Newsome? Um, I do think those three guys are probably the ones who are going to see out there first, who knows, you know, how they're going to, how they're going to match up though. I thought one of the most interesting things Kevin said during rookie minicamp um, was, and I think I believe him when he says this is Ashley, it sounded like he feels whoever's going to man that position, whether it's by committee or whether they have somebody who's going to be their Troy Hill this year, it sounds like that person is on the roster. Yeah, because he made that comment about we feel like we have multiple guys that can handle that. So it, it is interesting to figure out, like, OK, does does that mean it's going to be by committee then? Or is and I've said this before, like, is Kevin Stefanski just being, you know, typical Kevin Stefanski and giving us the coach speak that is kind of required at, at this stage in May, whatever month we're in now. So I am curious, like, I do think they feel like they don't need any help at that spot. And again, I think like when they drafted Martin Emerson, people were kind of like, huh. And then the following day was when they traded Troy Hill. So then that move all of a sudden made more sense. So I don't know, maybe they really see something with him there that they're confident that he could maybe take over that primary role. I I don't know, but at the very least, it sounds like they think that they have multiple guys who they could be giving looks there. He had zero snaps in the slot last season in college, just for the record. (laughs) So, but again, it's all about traits and, and, not so much have you play there, but you know, do you have the ability to play there? So, all right, I'm going to go with one because why not? We we have to talk about this guy, and I've already started doing detective work on this by going slow motion. You're going to say on a Browns Twitter clip to kind of see where this guy was at the time because everybody was sort of in the picture, and it sort of looked like he was with the running backs. So, and I think this has real roster implications. What is Demetric Felton exactly? I I want to know. Is he anything specific? Is he a wide receiver? Is a is he a running back? I mean, Scott, you've said it. Like this team's not going to keep five running backs, so there actually are like real roster implications to where Demetric Felton is or how they view him. Yeah, I know what he is. He's Duke Johnson. That's what he is. Because <laughs> we had these same conversations X number of years ago. You know. He's following Hugh around, going to different meetings, and uh, now he's another guy. <laughs> the same deal. Uh, yeah, I I went back and I look at you know how many running backs have they kept, and how many wide receivers have they kept the last few years. Um, you know, and is he one of the top four running backs? Well, there's also the fact that they haven't cut any rookies yet. So, how how do you fit him into the into the running back room if? you know who the top three guys are, but then you got Jerome Ford there. Is Does Demetric Felton also go there? I don't know. If he's a wide receiver, well, then you're you're looking at, you, you know who the top three guys probably are. Then you got Schwartz and Grant, who seems to be somebody they want to do multiple things here. So there's one spot left. Does that mean it's Demetric Felton is your final receiver or is what happened to Michael Woods, you know? somebody they drafted. So it's, yeah, it's a big mystery. And I think that's, who knows? I, is he going to be on the roster? Maybe he's trade bait. Who knows? I, it's all a mystery right now. And I think probably even more so than Duke Johnson, because I think Duke had accomplished more as an actual running back than Demetric Felton obviously has yet. Um, but, you know, again, it's, it's somebody who you're trying to figure out a way to get the most out of him because you know, he can do multiple things. And, and Duke was like, 
Duke was sort of a, a poor man's Kareem Hunt in some ways. Like he was effective as a runner. He was effective mm-hmm. as a pass catcher. We saw it. Part of that was because the roster was so thin during those years. So he was able to get on the field pretty easily, but he at least showed like, Hey, I can do all of these things. Maybe I'm not going to be your featured back, even though he believed he could have been a featured back. And maybe I'm not your slot receiver, even though he believed he could have been the slot receiver, <laughs> but he at least showed that, that he could do those things. And with Demetric Ashley, it was really just sort of little glimpses last year. We never saw it with any consistency. Yeah. I forget what podcast last year. I think when we drafted that draft class and we're like, we have no idea. Like I have no idea what his role in this team is going to look like this year. Um, and just like Scott kind of laid out so nicely, like who, who is he going to get reps over and like, how is he going to actually get on the field at either of those spots and how might he even make the roster at this point? So there were those glimpses, but was it enough to guarantee him a role in either of those positions, given the new pieces they brought in, because like they didn't bring in Jerome Ford for nothing. Right. Like they, they saw something there. They talked about, they liked his ability to be super active in the passing game as well, which he did, you know, really just in one year at Cincinnati. So it is curious. I think it's one of the bigger mysteries uh, that we're going to go into training camp and, and OTAs watching for. So I, I just honestly, right now, just don't have an answer besides, I don't know. I don't know what his role looks like. And I'll be honest about that. <laughs> well, and, and part of it's going to be like, what day are we out there? Like, yeah, maybe, maybe we show up there tomorrow and he's working with the running backs and then, but Tuesday and Thursday, he was busy working with the wide receivers and did your you detective know, sort work, of at the mercy of the schedule. Did your detective work yield, yield any answers did you think you saw him maybe <laughs> well okay i think i saw a number 25 and this is very much a think i saw standing with the running backs while the receivers were catching passes from deshaun watson but it also looked like there was a group of receivers working elsewhere on the field so maybe they weren't going through the same drill i don't know it was all very but it looked like i saw 25 with the running backs i spent way too much time on this trying to like full screen the video and like use a little slider. It's bad. Here's what we got to be careful of here. All right. This is like, this is like the third receiver trap all over again, but it's just in a different (laughs) situation. We can't spend too much time on Demetrius Felton because again, we're talking about the fourth running back or the fifth or sixth wide receiver. And who knows if he's even going to return kicks because again, you have Grant. Um, I think a lot of fans might look at him the same way they looked at Duke and think, but he could go somewhere else where they're going to know how to use them. And it's just going to be a big failure by the Browns, but that really didn't happen with Duke Johnson. Um, but I'm ready for that. Like he's going to go to Kansas city and they're going to know how to use them. And, you know, it's, it's just going to be a bad situation. But again, I think we're talking about a guy who, who's down the depth chart. Um, but there's just, you look at him, you're like, man, there's so many possibilities there. This is, I think his, he has to, there has to be something he's really great at right now. He's good at a lot of stuff, but what's he going to be, what's he going to be great at to get him, you know, higher up on a depth chart there. That's what, like, it kind of reminds me, like when I talked to JOK last season and, you know, was talking to him about his own versatility and like how he's so good at everything. And he's like, yeah, but like, sometimes that can hurt you. Like having, you know, too much versatility can almost be a bad thing because like you're saying, Scott, like you're not mastering one thing. Um, And I wonder if Demetric Felton, like, you know, JOK wasn't talking about him in that situation, but 
that whole conversation is now basically what we are having about Demetric Felton. Like, has he gotten caught up in being a jack of all trades to a point that, and I wondered this, you know, last week, like, is it more harmful than helpful in his own development and in finding a role on a roster? And I do, I do think most guys probably benefit from like, okay, your this is your position. You're going to play it. And that's where we're going to put you. I, I think a lot of guys that end up being hybrids, partially for what you were saying, Ashley, like being hybrids can like, that's not great. Like you should just be what you're really good at. And that's the position you should play. But in theory, we think like, Oh my God, this guy's going to be a million things, but those guys are pretty rare. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it takes like a really special player to like JOK to excel at that. And you have to have a certain kind of athleticism and not like football IQ, I guess, to handle all those roles and make things translate onto the field. Okay. Um, I've got another one here and I'm, I'm curious if, if you guys have other ones too, we can get in, yeah. but I'm, I'm just curious what you're going to watch with Deshaun Watson. Um, because obviously, you know, look, the quarterback can't get hit. Uh, a lot of this stuff is going to be scripted. They can do 11 on 11 in this phase, but it, I mean, it's not going to be, you can't tackle to the ground, all, all of that stuff. So it's, it's going to be very light contact, but you know, for me with Deshaun, one of the things I, I really just want to watch is sort of the non-football stuff, like the, I guess that has double meaning in the case of Deshaun Watson, but I just mean the between play stuff, like how is he working with his, his receivers? How's he interacting with his teammates? Just little stuff like that to see how teammates are responding to him. Obviously, you know, I'm not expecting anything terrible. I just, I just want to see how he works with people. You know, I thought one of the things that I thought Baker Mayfield actually did well in the last year was he would take that time between reps and he would talk to Jarvis Landry and talk to Odell Beckham and he'd go through things with players and they'd rep things him and Austin Hooper did it a lot. It didn't translate to the field for various reasons, but I, I just want to see sort of all those interactions between plays with Deshaun Watson and kind of see what his approach is. I guess is the face of the franchise and, and the quarterback of this football team. What, what are you guys watching with, with Deshaun over these next three or four weeks? Um, for, I guess for me, it's just like how decisive he is and how, because sometimes when you're at this stage of the year and if you have a new offense or a new coach or whatever, you're still learning everything, um, trying to get a gauge of where he might be with that. Uh, and again, sometimes a drill is just about going through progressions and you're going to hold on to the ball. And a lot of these things are just walkthroughs. Sometimes they don't even throw the ball, <laughs> but when they do, you know, how quick is it coming out? Is it, is it, does he know exactly where he's going? Um, stuff like that. Uh, not to read too much into it, but I think that's something I'm looking for. Just to try and figure out if, if it seems like he's where he should be. And I'm sure Stefanski will probably talk about that as well. And, he, and even to Sean. Yeah, like you said, Dan, I feel like it's so hard when you're not getting like the full picture of, of contact or, or anything like that. But I think for me, it's like we've talked so much about some of these returning receivers and a guy like DPJ, for example, who in theory were like, maybe they look a lot better with Deshaun Watson throwing them the ball than they did last year when Baker Mayfield was. So again, that's like kind of dependent on attendance, even Justin, and there's not that full speed action happening, but it is going to be like kind of our first glimpse just at how well he connects with these receivers, how him and Amari Cooper connect um, and again, all of this is not going to be like your typical 
game speed, contact, all that stuff. But it is just kind of a glimpse into what could be these next few weeks, especially. Okay, Ashley, did you have something else? Yeah, I mean, I'm just curious in general, We the big news of the weekend that Jadavian Clowney is coming back. So number one, is Jadavian <laughs> Clowney going to show up these next couple of weeks? We've talked about it. We've wondered if Jadavian Clowney will just show up the for the first mandatory thing that he has to show up for. Um, but, you know, this defensive line now, I think, is so interesting when we were talking about roles because Miles Garrett gets his buddy back. So um, are they going to be using like Chase Winovich more in that Tack McKinley role, which I think is what we've kind of speculated. And you give a guy like Alex Wright a bit more time to develop and you get to move Chase Winovich around, which is something he did in New England. So I'm just kind of curious to see who is showing up on that defensive line and it, depending on who's there, what that looks like. But again, I think that's another position group where things are going to be a little attendance based. So until things get the mandatory stuff starts, I don't know how good of a picture we're going to get with all that. I'm looking, I found a post here um, from a blog that said uh, players who should have been at OTAs last year uh, and Jadavion Clowney was on that list. So apparently he was not in attendance last year and seemed to work out fine for him. <laughs> I think, yeah. I, I mean, Scott, I do think one of the reasons Jadavion came back and, and I hope when we get to talk to him, we'll, we'll have an opportunity to hear about this is I do feel like this organization took care of him physically. Now, obviously, I'm sure there was, the $11 million as well for one year, but the organization took care of him physically. He was allowed to kind of do what he needed to do to be ready on game days. And I I think he just, he felt the healthiest he's ever been. So, you know, if he shows up and signs his contract and takes off, that's okay. It would be nice to see him, but you know, (laughs) I guess we'll see. Yeah. You know, I, I think maybe, I don't know, at that point in your career, do you want to go about learning learning another defense and getting used to new guys. I mean, he's getting used to playing you guys this year, at least next to him. But yeah, I, I'm sure the money was probably at the top of the list on why he came back. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to be watching the defensive line as well, uh, but I, maybe like the interior. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember last year and it was probably camp. I think Sheldon day was like first team reps so often didn't really work out like that during the season, but, I think everybody wants to see who, how that, how that works. Cause there's just so many unknowns, you know, is, is Winfrey there next to Elliot and uh, where's Tommy Togi? I fit into that. Um, we kind of know now the clowny's back in the fold, how that rotation is probably going to work. You know, everybody kind of settles in on the edges, but that interior, who knows? And they may just start rotating a lot of guys in and we'll just come away from OTAs, not really having much of an idea of what's going on. Um, but then, and also at center too, I mean, just the interior trenches in general, how do the, how do the rotations at center is Nick Harris getting all the first team reps. So they, are they rotating in Ethan Posich? So we don't, you know, stuff like that. So it's the middle of that line is still very much up for grabs. It seems. Yeah. That, that was the other one too, Ashley. I wanted to see like where, yeah. I guess, where's Perry on Winfrey, right? That's where yeah. <laughs> that'll be like the question of the day every day. Where's Perry on? I think we'll be able to find him. Just look for yeah. the guy that's, that's big and barking, but. Like, where does he line up with these defensive tackles? And I'll especially be interested considering I took him sixth in our Andrew Berry <laughs> draft picks draft, and I got some grief for that. So I want victory <laughs> lap if it is deserved in, in you know, a couple months, whatever. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think the big thing with him that we've talked about again, and like, 
Greg Newsom told Mary Kay this for that story she did on his friendship with Perry and Winfrey, um, that basically Yeltlin's it. When you have a guy up the middle who can bring that pressure, it basically makes the offense play right into their hands and send those guys to the edge. Um, so overall, I just think like, I'm really curious to see how effective he is at creating that pressure and what it looks like when we actually see it out on the field with some of those defensive ends. Um, and overall, I just think like Scott's saying, there's a lot of competition in the middle of both lines on both sides of the ball. So that is, I think maybe the position battles to, to kind of be watching for and who's getting reps and how do they look and, and all that sort of stuff. So Scott, was that your, your other thing there? Have we, have we covered all your bases? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah, the interior there is, is the other thing I'll be looking at. Okay. Well then there we go. Our, uh, our OTAs preview here on the orange or Brown talk podcast, three practices will be open to us over the next three weeks. And then mandatory mini camp is June 14th to 16th. We'll be out there for all of those. So uh, make sure you're a football insider subscriber to get texts, get the newsletter. Uh, also get as- access to stories that we write that are behind that paywall. You got to be a football insider subscriber. It's cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. And of course, subscribe to this podcast on Spotify and Apple podcast rate and review us too. Uh, Mary Kay was on earlier and for Scott and Ashley I'm Dan thanks for listening everybody